Love. You know, love seems like such a trite word. It's used everywhere. Talk show hosts tell us that they love us. People tell us that they love us. People that don't know us tell us that they love us. We love other people. Couples use love. People who aren't couples use love. People who meet each other for the first time talk about loving each other. Love has become, I think, pretty meaningless. It's something that we talk about. In fact, it's talked about everywhere, but practiced almost nowhere. Uh, Love is, is really a profound concept in the scriptures, and it's really hard to recapture the nature of love and its significance in the Word of God. But this morning, we're going to begin by looking at this exhortation that's found in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, which says, Beloved, let us love one another. Uh, last week, I put some of the one another passages on the overhead and demonstrated that the most common one another passage is to love one another with a number of different nuances, different portions of the scripture. This morning I chose to look at 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. The apostle Paul is writing, excuse me, the apostle John is writing to believers. And he opens this exhortation by referring to them as the beloved. Verse 7, first word. Beloved, let us love one another. Six times in the book of 1 John, John refers to his readers as beloved ones. Beloved occurs 66 times in the New Testament. It is the most common way of referencing the people of God. They are beloved. Beloved by whom? They're beloved. That's a statement of fact. You are beloved. But beloved by whom? I would submit to you in this instance, it's beloved by God and beloved by John. And he begins this exhortation by telling them that they are loved by God and they are loved by him. And the exhortation is, let us love one another, John and his readers. Let them love one another. John also says in 1 John 3.18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, in reality, in sincerity, in action, and in authenticity. Let us love one another. Let us not just talk about it, but let us practice and experience this love for one another. So this morning, I'm going to begin by talking about the reasons that we are exhorted to love one another. Why should we be concerned about loving one another? And I have two main reasons that come from this text this morning. The first being that we are exhorted to love one another because love for one another or lack thereof is an important indicator of our real relationship to God. Let me say that again. We are exhorted to love one another Because our love for one another or lack of love for one another is an important indicator of our real relationship to God. Notice 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and 
Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. That's a rather bold assertion. But it says that the person that loves is a person who is born of God, meaning born again, and that person knows God. Conversely, a person who does not love his or her fellow believer does not have a relationship to God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So it is a determining factor. If you have love one for another, that means you are born again. If you do not have love one for another, that means you're lost, according to this passage. That's a rather striking statement. Therefore, we ought to be concerned about it. That it makes that kind of a statement that if you love one another, you're born again. And if you don't love one another, you are not born again. In fact, that might be so striking, we might even sound a bit heretical to us at the, at the very beginning, that uh, such emphasis would be putting on love. But John also says it's been given unto us not only to uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but to love one another. In 1 John chapter 3, if you look there, it says this. 1 John 3.13 Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So again, this is uh, this assertion that if you don't love your brother, then you don't know God, and if you do love your brother, you do know God. Well, how can that be said? How can that be true? Notice 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Love originates in God. All true love comes from God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Love is from God. Our love for one another is a product of regeneration. It's a product of our being born again. Notice verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God, meaning have been born again. Scripture uses that terminology to talk about the incredible transformation that takes place in the individual's life when they place saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are such a different person that it's as though they were born again. And so, in the New Testament, people that are born again oftentimes even take on different names. A Saul becomes a Paul, for example. A Simon becomes a Peter. There is such a transformation in their life that they take on a new name. Another image that the scripture uses to talk about the transformation that takes place when a person places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is that they become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5. If any, uh, that uh, we are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. It's like we've been made all over again. Such a transformation that has taken place. Last week, I emphasized that the gospel is talking about how we who are sinners 
And the essence of sin that I described last week, if you remember, is selfishness and self-centeredness. That all sins flow out of selfishness and self-centeredness. Comes out of Matthew, where they came to Jesus and said to him, what is the first and great commandment? He said, the first and great commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these hang all the law and the prophets. Everything else is an expansion of those two ideas. We are sinners. We do not love God with our heart and our soul and our mind, and we do not love our neighbor as ourself. We need forgiveness, and we need deliverance. A deliverance that we can't engender on our own. We need God's enablement in order to love him and really love our brother. That's why it says that... <clears throat> Without knowing him, you don't love, okay? <clears throat> we have concepts of love, but we don't actually love in a biblical sense. In that authentic, deep, totally selfless way. Apart from a relationship to God. Because only that kind of love can be found in God. That has to be manifested in us. Thus, the statement that unless you are born again then you do not have love. And if you don't have love, then you're not born again because of this transforming power and work of the gospel. Our love is a product, as I say, of regeneration, of new life, of the Holy Spirit coming to abide in our hearts and lives. So that now that we are born again, we have a capacity to love one another. We are now capable of true, genuine, authentic love. We have a resource. We have an ability to love one another in the way in which we really should love one another. This love is a product of our continued fellowship with God. Notice verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And knows God. Without getting into a lot of depth this morning, that's one of my real struggles always, but especially this morning, the degree of depth you get into, but we've got a past perfect in the first part, which talks about an event that had taken place in the past and continues on into the present, and that's this aspect of being born again. That happened at one point in our time, in our life, you placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you were born again, and that has significance for the rest of your life. This next word, knows, is in the present tense. It's talking about this active relationship which we have with God now. The fellowship that we enjoy with him. That produces love in our hearts. So, when we were born again, we were changed and we had a capacity now to love. Where before we didn't have a capacity. We couldn't engender it. We couldn't evoke it. We couldn't muster it up. We couldn't get rid of our self-centeredness. Now we have a resource. Now the Holy Spirit is at work in our life. And we are now to produce this love. Thus the exhortation. 
Let us love one another. So if you don't have it, you're not born again. But just because you're born again doesn't mean you love the way in which you should. So now the exhortation is let us love one another because we can. Because now it's possible for us. We do have the Holy Spirit. We do have God abiding in us. And God is love. So now there's no reason for us not to love one another. Because we can. Therefore, we should increase in our love for one another. The second reason I want to look at this morning is why do we need to love one another? Answer, because we have a moral and ethical obligation to do so. Why should we love one another? Because we have a moral and ethical responsibility to do so. Look at 1 John verses 4, 10, and 11. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Key word, verse 11, ought. Ought. And that's found in the King James, the NAS, the NIV, the SV. It's nice. All of them use the same word because that's what the word means. Ought. We're obligated. We have a duty. We have a responsibility as well as privilege. We ought, meaning we owe it, to love one another. The question is, to whom do we owe it? And why do we owe it? Why are we obligated to love one another? Why isn't it optional for us? Where is the moral obligation? Where is the ethical duty? Why do I have a responsibility to love my fellow Christian? Answer, we owe it to God who loved us. Now, usually, we get this concept half right. Okay? Meaning by that, I think that usually the way that Christians think is this. Since Christ died for me, I owe it to God to love him. Since Christ died for me, I owe it to God to love him. Last week, again, and these messages build on each other, so if you miss a week, listen to it on the internet if you're so inclined, but um, last week I talked about American individualism. And I talked about how the gospel has been, been limited to our relationship to God and not our relationship to one another. And I was emphasizing the fact that when you come into a relationship with God, you come into a relationship with one another. Remember that? And I said that American evangelicalism is rooted in individualism. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's not about us. 
Okay? We are so ingrained in that thinking that it doesn't hit us. And it is a deplorable ingraining. Okay? We, we got to work, 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 work to get over that thinking. All right? Notice what verse 11 does not say. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved me, I ought to love him. Doesn't say that. Notice also what it does not say. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love him. Doesn't say that. It says, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. The emphasis on the text is the reason I love my fellow brother and sister in Christ is because God loves my fellow brother and sister in Christ. If I have a relationship with God, I have a relationship to them. Why? Because he loves them. And I love him, them because he loves them. Look at 1 John 5.1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. If you love the Father, you are going to love those that the Father has given birth to. Why? Because the Father loves them. Okay? Go back and look at 1 John 4, 10 and 11. And when we get to these pronouns, I want you to say them with me. 1 John 4, 10. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let me get on a soapbox for a moment because this is universally true in the scriptures. We have really perverted the scriptures. We have made them say something they don't say. Okay? Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Romans 5.8 But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You are going to look hard to find a verse that says Christ died for me. The scripture says Christ died for us, a people that he was bringing together. Next week I'll talk about why he brought us together. But the point of this morning's message is that it is wrong to simply think that Christ died for me. He died for us. Excuse our understanding. Excuse our perspective on the Christian life, because it becomes all about me and him. Rather than about us 
and to us. You can pull the screen down. We are, we're going to sing again the uh, song that we just sang, but we're going to change the pronouns. Instead of talking about Christ died for me, we're going we're to sing Christ died for us. Okay? Just a little thing, and it may seem trivial, but I want you to think about that for a moment. And not just that, and, you know, it's easy, you know, a pastor's picking on this new praise music, okay? Not at all. Not at all. I'm, I'm really delighted with the songs, and, you know, one of the great songs, uh, I think, is uh, Build Your Kingdom Here and, and so many things. It's not just the modern praise music. I tell you, it's universal. Listen to the words of the hymn. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, and I wonder how he could love me. A sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I love thee because thou hast first loved me. Purchased my pardon on Calvary's tree. I love thee for wearing the thorns on thy brow. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. I was trying to find something that said this. And uh, Pastor Dave, we came up with it. What was the one that, what was the title? Right, how deep the Father's love for us. And said, great! And then after the title, everything became personal pronouns in the song. You know, it just, it just permeates. The first step is understanding that we just don't have a unique and privileged relationship to God, but we have a unique and privileged relationship to God. God was saving us. Next week, we're going to look at God saved us for a reason. See, if it's just about me, it's just about me going to heaven. But if he saved us for a reason, collectively, then that becomes pretty important. That's next week. I can't, get, I can't wait to get to next week. I, this was tough. Because I didn't want to do this. I want to do next week. But, but I, I need to set some kind of starting place. So we're, gonna, we're just going to take time. Come, come, people. And uh, we're going to sing this again. But we're going to use some plural pronouns. And I know it's not going to rhyme when we get to be, because it's not going to say me, it's us. But it's okay. All right? But uh, just a little exercise of singing this song from a different perspective. And the words are up here to help you do that. Let's stand together. And... That may have sounded trite, but I would really like you to reflect on that's profound. It's a profound difference. You see, the individualistic of you are my king, I will honor you can't be done 
in an individualistic sense. It is, you are our king, and collectively we honor you. And we honor you by loving one another. We honor you by achieving your purpose in saving us. We honor you by taking on your purpose, plan, and spirit. So, what does love look like? Look at 1 John 3.16. I'm editing here now because I'm running out of time quickly. 1 John 3.16. By this we know love. This is our understanding of love. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for, consistently, us. And we ought, same word, that's found in chapter 4, the word we've been looking at, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You laid down your life for us. So we ought to lay down our lives for each other. See how different that is from you laid down your life for me. Therefore, I ought to serve you with my whole heart. No, you laid down your life for us. Therefore, now I have an duty. Now, therefore, I have an obligation to lay down my life for my brother and sister because you died for them. You cared about them. You made the ultimate sacrifice for them. Therefore, I need to sacrifice for them. Therefore, I need to be caring about them. Because they belong to you. You died for them. In uh, 1 John 3, 18... It says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or truth. It refers now not to beloved, but little children. Interesting. I think the switch there is because we are so falling short in this admonition. We're just babes in our maturity in loving one another. We have so far to go. We have this incredible capacity because we've been born again, but we have so, so far to go. We're we're just children in this product of really loving one another. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed in truth. Verse 16 of 1 John 3, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Let us not just love in word. You know, it's easy to talk about sacrifice. It's easy to talk about sacrifice. Laying down your life for your brother. But, now really, are we ready to lay down our life for our brother? Are we willing to make the ultimate sacrifice 
for my brother, for my sister in Christ? Am I really willing to die for the person next to me? It would be much better to ask the question, am I willing to be inconvenienced for my brother and sister? Am I willing to go out of my way for my brother and my sister? Love and hate are on two opposite ends of a spectrum. They're somewhere in the middle. And so it says, let us love not in word or deed, but in, uh, not in, love, uh, in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So we are to give for our brother and sister in need. We, we are to clothe, we are to feed. We're at least to do that. We, we had an elders retreat uh, just days ago. And we were talking about, I, was, I said I was going to do this series on one another, and we were talking about one another, and, and I said, you know, we're going to uh, get to greet one another. And I said, what do you think if I ask everybody in the congregation for a couple of weeks to sit in a different spot so that you can greet different people, so you get to know other people better? And there was this laughter and said, you know, people aren't going to like that. People, people aren't going to want to move from their seat. And I said, you know, kind of smugly, and I said, well, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to imagine that we'd be willing to die for one another if we're not willing to sit in a different seat for a week. You know, somehow we have to be honest about where we are. You know, where, how much am I willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of my brother and sister in Christ, of knowing them, of loving them, of, of caring for them? How far am I really willing to go? Well, the reason I brought this up is, did you see this amazing article this past May 11th, I think is when it was written, just a few weeks ago, on April the 24th, a man was shot and killed during a morning worship service at the Keystone Fellowship Church of Montgomeryville, Pennsylvania. Montgomeryville, Pennsylvania, not far from here. A man was shot and killed, not by a terrorist, not by some gunman that came into the congregation. But there was a 26-year-old man who came into the church and, oddly enough, there were some seats reserved by Bibles placed on the seat. Okay? People wanted to save their seats so they put Bibles on their, on their seats. This young man sat down, having removed a Bible, and occupied the seat. Someone tapped him on the shoulder from behind and said somebody else was going to sit there. He said, well, I'm sitting there now, or something to that effect. And so a discussion erupted between these two parishioners. Okay. Eventually it got heated. They started using profanity, actually cursed at each other, stood up, and the one hit the other in the jaw, smacked him, okay, in the jaw. There was another parishioner standing by who happened to have a gun on him. He pulled out his gun and walked over to the situation, of which the person who struck the other says, what, now are you going to shoot me? 
And a 46-year-old man did just that. Two bullets into a man's chest, well, one into his chest, one into his arm, and he died immediately. Just three weeks ago, in a church in Pennsylvania, over a chair that had Bibles on it. Now, is that incredible or what? Is that just mind-boggling? You, you say to yourself, how in the world could that happen? How could we be just so far, how could we get so screwed up that we come into a church service and somebody gets shot for sitting in somebody else's chair? Well, that certainly isn't love. It certainly isn't in this passage. It certainly isn't right. Now, I'm not saying we're going to shoot each other. I feel pretty safe here this morning. But let's be careful in talking about dying for one another. Let's be a little more realistic. Let's be a little bit more honest. How much do I really care about my brother and sister in Christ? How much do I really know about them? Their workplace, their their family, their struggles. How much do I care if they're sick or they're not sick? Do I think, oh man, that, that sermon, you know, not the sermon, but the prayer this morning was long because he mentioned a lot of people this morning. Do we really have to pray for all those people in the morning worship service? Couldn't we just get on with it? Let us love one another. But back to the main point this morning, and that is let us love one another because God loves our brother and our sister in Christ. And I cannot say, I cannot say I love him if I don't love each other. First John says, if you don't love your brother and your sister whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you have not seen? We can't talk about loving God without loving one another. Next week, we look at the uh, application and uh, I'll get extremely practical, but, but I don't want to promise too much, but I'm very excited and looking about God's purpose and reason for saving us in this great admonition of loving one another. Well, it's gone late, so I'm just going to close in uh, prayer this morning, but um, let us seek to love each other more. Let's pray. Almighty God, uh, you who are the God of all love, you who are the source of all goodness, you who are the giver of every good and perfect gift, you who have given us of your spirit, and you have taught us that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faithness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control. Oh Lord, we, we desire those fruit of the spirit to be evidenced in our lives. We want to be more loving. We want to be more patient. We want to be more kind. We want to be more generous. We want to be more like you. Uh, Lord, we, we want to be more like you, not just individually, but corporately as a church. 
We want to reflect the Spirit of God at work in our midst so that this world can see a transformation that all men might know that you are my disciples if we have love one for another. What a mark on the testimony of this church. What a disgrace, not only to the church, but to your name as this news got out of this heinous act that was created during a morning worship service. Oh God, help us to see that the world cannot see you. It only can see us. And may it begin to see a reflection of who you are in your love. And may it be understood of your love and your care for our brothers and sisters through our love and our care for our brothers and sisters. So, oh God, thank you this morning for dying for us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for the day in which we will stand in your presence forever and ever, and we will honor you, and we will worship you, and we will conduct each, with each other. We will be in a place where there is no more thievery, there is no more lying, there is no more stealing, because, oh God, we are now what we ought to be, but one day we will be like you, and we look forward to that day. Increase our love and care and concern for each other, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand and we'll sing. Uh...